Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined, as always, by my sensible wife, Betsy. Hey, everybody. Thank we, you. We need more sensible people in this world. Do you we agree do. With that? And I would question if that does work for me well, but <laughs> well, you got thank lot, you. You got a lot more sense than a lot of people out there, okay? <laughs> We're coming off the midterm elections. We need some more sensible people in the world. Oh, uh, we, need, we need sense. And yes. that's a good thing. But listen, folks, we have an interesting subject for you today. You are not your own, and that's a good thing. Hmm. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. Now, first of all, Bets, you are not your own. What does this mean? What does that mean to you when you hear that? Well, obviously it makes me think, because I'm a believer, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's chapter 6, isn't it? Where Paul you says, yep. you are not your own, you yep. are bought with a price. Yep. Um, so that's where my mind goes. What about you? Yeah, well, uh, you know, of course, that we're going to talk about this great book by an author named Alan Noble. He wrote a book called, You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. Mm. And I want to set the stage for us by reading a quote from Alan about how today's culture tells us all the time, every day, in a million ways, that we belong to ourselves. Yes. So, and I quote, to be your own and to belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your existence and everything it entails. I am responsible for living a life of purpose of defining my identity, of interpreting meaningful events, of choosing my values, of electing where I belong. If I belong to myself, then I am the only one who can set limits on who I am or what I can do. No one else has the rights to define me, to choose my journey in life, or to assure me that I am okay. I belong to myself. But the freedom of sovereign individualism comes at a great price. Once I am liberated from all social, moral, natural, and religious values, I become responsible for the meaning of my own life. With no God to judge or justify me, I have to be my own judge and redeemer. This burden manifests as a desperate need to justify our lives through identity crafting and expression. Mm. End quote. So to set the context for our listeners a little bit, Josh, you just at our church, Northeast Presbyterian, you just finished a sermon series called You Are Not Your Own. Correct. And if I'm not mistaken, the first sermon you preached in that series was drawn from some of this material from the book, correct? Exactly, exactly. You know, what What I was attempting to do with that first message was give a foundation for stewardship that went deeper than just your money belongs to God, mm -hmm. your time belongs to God, your talents belong to God. I wanted to root it in in a fundamental, well, who owns us, period. Yes. And there's a really amazing section of 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul, it's interesting, he's, he's, he's actually not directly talking about money. Uh, he, he's actually it's, getting into sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. But then he makes that statement, you are not your own. Mm -hmm. You were bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I found so interesting about that um, sermon, and we should have looked to see what date that was. It's on YouTube. 
you could just, if any listeners are interested and haven't heard it, you could scroll down to the first sermon in that series. Um, or you go to any PC podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, we do have a new sermon podcast. Way to plug that. Um, so what I found so interesting about that sermon that you preached was that you really kind of laid a foundation for thinking through um, the way that our culture pictures our lives and how we live our lives. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit more? You broke it down, if, if I'm remembering right, you broke it down into an ownership mindset and a stewardship mindset. So we kind of just wanted to dig into that ownership mindset and what that means and how we see that manifested in our culture. Sure. Well, okay, here's the big thing I, I think we need to grasp. We all have an ownership mindset even Christians living in America. Yes. We, we so often underestimate the influence that our culture has on us. Mm-hmm. And so, we, so, think, much so. we think that just because we are Christians, we have been born again, we have the Spirit of God, we know the Word of God, we have a church community, that automatically means that we think and act in ways that are fully biblical, right? Maybe not that we're not perfect, but that we, that we think about the world through, the, through a biblical lens. Mm. But that is actually incredibly difficult when our world is constantly telling us that we're owners. Right. That it all belongs to us. We are being catechized in many ways. As we've spoken about on previous episodes, we are uh, being catechized with the beliefs of our culture in ways that we don't even recognize. That's right. Uh, Alan Noble uses a, a really cool illustration in his book to talk about the way the modern world works. He talks about animals in a zoo. And he talks about going to the zoo... And, you know, you, I mean, how many zoos have we been to? We've been to a lot, a lot of zoos in our time. We've been to a lot of zoos. Mm-hmm. Okay. I Four was like, kids. It's a lot of zoos. Multiple states. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen a lot of zoos. Haven't been to San Diego Zoo. But you go to the zoo and he says that you see these incredible animals and, you know, the, the zookeepers, the people who own the zoo, whatever, they have done their best to create an environment that, that is as most natural as possible for the animal. Mm. But the reality is they're not even close. Right. I mean, come on, think about a lion. Like a lion is in this pen. All it does is pace back and forth. And even if it's bigger and it's got like more trees and stuff, uh, it's, still, it's still in an enclosure. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's still nothing compared to a lion roaming the plains of Africa <laughs> with a herd right. able to hunt and sleep and and basically you know you see it it's just pacing there's that giant ravine preventing that lion from jumping across and trying to eat you yeah and just to to talk about lions this is a random fact but to prove your point i just read a book with a student a couple of days ago at school that i was working with and it said that a lion's roar can be heard for 5 miles wow that's how loud it is so that proves the point of a lion is supposed to be somewhere that's not an enclosure there you go yeah um, I, I remember the one, uh, one of my favorite documentaries is the one about orcas, blackfin. I think it's called blackfin. Blackfish, I think. Blackfish. Yeah. And it talks about SeaWorld. Yes. And the idea of putting an orca in SeaWorld, it's like, imagine um, putting, you know, it's it's like that orca is living in a bathtub, basically. Yes. Like it can, it can for, for what that animal was made by God to do, it can basically like turn up. And you know, no, no, around. Right. No wonder why the, the things go crazy in there. Right. So Alan anyway, Noble, back to the point. he says, <laughs> yep, sorry. We got about, uh, about Zeus. He, he, <laughs> he says that in many ways, modern life 
um, is being presented to us in a way that it's almost equivalent to an animal being in a zoo. Hmm. In other words, um, modern life tries to tell us that this is the way we've been designed. It says to us, this is everything we need. All your Hmm. needs are provided. But at the end of the day, we are sort of like animals in a pen in an enclosure that looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Mm. I thought that was an interesting metaphor that he uses. That's so interesting. And and basically he says, you know, th- for example, the the sense that we have that we're responsible for everything in our lives. Yes. That we have to define meaning. Right. Define purpose. Um, we have to discover meaning. We have to discover purpose. He uses a word a lot, which is really interesting. He talks about optimization. Mm. He's like, we have to always optimize. We basically live in a world where if you're not upgrading or optimizing at every moment, you're a failure. Right. And I can relate to that. Yep. Oh, right? I can too. Absolutely. Where, you know, we've we've spoken about this in, in other episode, episodes, where if you're not productive, if you're not on the top of your game, if you're not recognized as someone who is living with meaning and purpose, you're failing at life in so many ways. Let me read one more quote from the book. And I quote, a life of unending and unrewarded competition and self-improvement through increased efficiency and optimization is overwhelming, depressing, and unsatisfying. Mm. This is not what we were made for, and we know it. But rather than confront the problem, we blame ourselves and work harder. Mm. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. So he points to he points to the way that we are told that we need to define our own identity, that we choose from any options that are in front of us, and that we are the ones who decide how to live a life of purpose. As he said in in, in that opening quote, you um, you read how to define our identities how to interpret meaningful events, that it's all up to us, basically, to do the most important things to sure. make our life work. Sure. So here's sort of the, iron- the irony of our modern culture. Our modern culture tells us that we're owners and not stewards. Mm-hmm. And who wouldn't just on the face of things be like, of course, I'd rather be an owner than a steward, right? Sure. I want to be in charge. Yeah, I want to drive the ship. But the irony is a stewardship... Uh, mentality is actually way more freeing mm. and it is it removes the immense burden and pressure that most people can't even articulate but yet that they feel when right. they're living their lives that's right because if I'm a steward I'm not the owner that means there is an owner the owner's God mm. and I'm just called to be faithful to what God's called me to do I'm not called to own the company right and guarantee it's successful that's right yeah, because I think we live in a culture that tells us that you need to, you know, you always need to keep hustling. You need to make sure that you're staying up with what other people are doing. You know, I really resonated with a quote that he gave about, um, specifically about being a parent in today's culture. Mm. And I think that other people who are parents or who love children um, could probably resonate with. So I'm going to read the quote. He says, to be a modern parent is to live with the anxiety that you're not doing everything you possibly can to raise children who can compete in a global marketplace. I highlighted that like 500 times because I think that so many parents feel that exact 
thing, even if they can't articulate it in that way. It's my kid can't, you know, parents of at least of a certain socioeconomic status, of course. My kid can't get behind other kids. My kid needs to have something that they're really good at. It's the pressure to find something that a child is good at so that can help to define who they are. Um, it, it, it's the whole rat race that I yeah. think we can find ourselves in so easily. That really resonates well, with and, me. And, and he talks about, I love this, he breaks, he breaks everybody down in the Western world into two groups. Um, there's the strivers. He might have a different word for that. And then there's the resigned. Hmm. And the resigned are the people that, are, that just say, I can't win in this game. Hmm. So I'm just totally going to live for myself because what's the point? Like, I can't right. compete anymore. I know I can't compete. And, but either way, there's this very depressing, self-focused way of living things out because the resigned just feel like the, the, the game is rigged. That's right. And so you might as well retreat to an addiction or something like that because what else is there? Because what else is there? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we all just, you know, when we stop and think about it, that this defines us more um, than we may acknowledge or uh, have thought about before. Sure. You know, about something I've been thinking about a good bit recently is this topic of leisure. Mm. So leisure. Okay. So what I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. Hmm. How would you define leisure? Doing um, what you want in your free time. Okay, that's a good definition. Yep. Um, but there's actually sort of like a more technical definition oh. of leisure. And I love this. This really speaks to me. That leisure is doing something for its own sake and not for the purpose of something else. Oh, right? Yeah. So you're doing it just to enjoy the thing. So, so, so here's an example of what is not leisure. Let's say I tell you, I'm going to go for a run. And you're like, why are you going for that run? And I say, because I need to stay healthy. I need to stay fit. I'm mm. focused on my health. Mm. I want my six pack. Yeah, that ain't happening. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sure, whatever. Yeah. Some that, people are going to get that, their six pack. Well, actually that would still be an example though. It would. If, if you're doing it for an end other than itself. Yes. You're saying an end to, ends to the mean. And means to an end. Yeah. Yes. So in other words, and he, he talks about this, a lot of what we do now, even for fun, is not really just for fun. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't think you can tease him about pulley because that doesn't mean that you're not having some fun in it. Sure. But like pure leisure would be doing things you enjoy just for the sake of doing them. Mm. There is no end. There is nothing you gain. You just do it. Yeah. And even just thinking about that, like sometimes I think about things like I would enjoy, like, um, oh, I would enjoy knitting, for example. I used to be a big knitter. I haven't knit as much in recent years, um, but, and probably partially for this reason, because I'd be like, well, unless I'm pro producing something that I could use, what, is that a good use of my time? Like, what's the point? But what you're saying is- Just knit. Right. What yeah. you're saying is I'm knitting because I I think that there, or I'm not knitting now because I think there needs to be a purposeful use of my time at all times because I'm chained to this idea of productivity. That's, That's right. what you're telling That's me. That's right. Another word he uses a lot, I love this. He talks about efficiency a lot. Mm -hmm. So efficiency is the enemy of leisure, mm -hmm. right? Because what right. is more inefficient than leisure? Nothing. 
Yeah, because you're not getting when anything done. You're not getting anything done. Mm-hmm. You are being maximally inefficient with leisure. Right. And yet, again, this is something that God wants for us. He made for us. But mm. we just, I mean, if you're an owner, when do you have time? Right. Yeah, I, I think this quote also was... Um, was just really hit the nail on the head, in my opinion. He's, he says, we're being raised in a culture that treats autonomy as sacred. We idolize rebels, free thinkers, and mavericks. Our modern, modern myths are stories of rejecting traditional expectations to discover your true, pure identity. As we have seen in the contemporary anthropology, to be fully human is to be autonomous. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's it. So if we are you know, dis, uh, experiencing how that way of living our life, it's so exhausting. It's so, there, it, there's such a burden there. You know, you're on this treadmill that you can never get off of because you're responsible for defining the meaning of your life at every moment. And, and often, as he says, you're, you're defining it by what other people think of how you're doing. Yeah, so this is the really interesting thing about the concept of image. It's impossible to have an image without, so an image of how you think about yourself, it's impossible to have that without other people, mm-hmm. okay? Right. Our concept of ourself is inexorably tied to what we think other people think of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean- And that changes every day. All the time. Right. So, in, in, in your sermon, you know, you had laid out that ownership mindset and then pivoted into the stewardship mindset. And that's such a refreshing and wonderful and freeing thing to think about when you can understand what the difference is. Sure. Well, and being a steward doesn't mean I get to do anything I want. Hmm. Um, It means that I am responsible to follow the dictates of the owner. Yes. It means you have a purpose that was given to you by someone else. That's right. I'm still responsible to fulfill that purpose. I'm Mm -hmm. still responsible to pursue that. But what God is wanting, okay, God who's the owner, right? Because if there's a God, how can we be fully autonomous? What the owner wants from us is faithfulness, mm. not success or efficiency. Right. Right? Now, we may be- At least be, not measured in our own terms. That's right. Now, yeah. we, we may be efficient at one thing or another, whatever, that's fine. But the point is, the owner, if, if you are the owner, um, then- you're you're thinking about more than faithfulness, okay? Mm. Think about if you own a business, right? You talk to a small business owner and be like, hey, what do you need from your employees? You know, maybe you would say faithfulness, but um, or what do you need? What's the bottom line for your company? They're probably they're probably gonna say, I'm gonna have to make a profit, mm. right? But that's God. We let God run the world. We yeah. just he just says to us, be faithful. That's right. Think about the pressure that that takes off because he's the owner, not me. Mm-hmm. He's the one, I trust the bottom line to him. Mm. I'm called to be faithful, but I'm not called to be perfect. Yes. In and how I live that out. And when we see that we belong to God, that means, again, that he tells us what our purpose is. And the purpose that he's given us is to be in relationship with him. And I think when we grasp that, as you said, it's so freeing because it takes away that need for being on the treadmill of 
constantly being productive, constantly using my time in a way that's efficient, maximizing, um, maximizing my time, thinking of, you know, how do people perceive me? What's my identity like today? All of a sudden, all of that stuff can fade into the background when you realize you were created for a love relationship by, with your creator. What a beautiful thing to, to say, oh, wait, Maybe my purpose is not to um, be the person that everybody loves. I mean, that's always, if I'm honest with myself, that's always been my struggle, um, to, to be someone that everyone approves of and admires and likes. That's always been my struggle as a person. But God frees me from that to say, no, 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 I made you for relationship with me, and I've given you gifts, and I've given you abilities, and I want you to use them to bless other people. Because that's faithfulness. Because that, that is yep. faithfulness. That's right. But that's not where I'm drawing my identity. Yeah. I mean, it's it's honestly fairly simple, yeah. and yet it's also radically countercultural. So much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want to read a final quote from, as, we're, as we're wrapping this episode up. I want to read a final quote from this book which I think in so many ways summarizes what we're saying. Mm. And it summarizes the freedoms, the joy that come from a stewardship mentality and not an ownership mentality. Mm. And, and, he, and he says this. He says that if you're a steward, that means you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God. Mm. And, and so think about that when you hear this word belonging when I read this quote. Okay, and I quote, Belonging necessitates limits. The question is to whom we belong. If we belong to ourselves, then we have to set our own limits, which means we have no limits except our own will. If we belong to God, then knowing and abiding by His limits enables us to live as we were created to live as the humans He designed us to be. Mm, So let's embrace our limits. Mm. I love that. That is radically countercultural to embrace your limits. Yeah. Can you imagine a Disney song that was like, I'm limited. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a hit anytime soon. It today. could happen. You never know. They've got a lot of talented people there. So if, if you are telling me that you want to embrace a stewardship mentality, you're telling me that I need to take up knitting again, just for the pure joy of knitting. Yes, that's and, exactly what and, I'm saying. And what do you need to take up? I have to give up the six pack, uh, <laughs> not the beer. <laughs> Let me be clear on that. Um, but yeah, no, I think for me, probably like a lot of guys, I need to learn to just embrace leisure more mm. and not always be thinking about what this can get for me or do yes. for me or what I'm right. going to accomplish through this or or the, the productivity grind and oh it is so it's very present in our culture and the hard thing is is that you know you do feel good when you get stuff done and that's not bad no but it is bad when that becomes your main thing that's right uh when 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 that becomes what you're about like i'm somebody who gets stuff done and i that makes people happy and all that that's right that's right. So uh, for me, it wouldn't be knitting. I, I would like to get back to the bowling alley at some point. Oh, man. Because at one point in our marriage, I had a bowling ball. I owned a bowling ball. And it had a name, the Falcon. It, uh, my wife made me get rid of it. We've never, we <laughs> my still. My wife, I don't have a we name. We need counseling over that. It's never, <laughs> never been peeled. 
Yeah, wow. Old wounds are coming out now, folks. <laughs> Old wounds we thought Maybe were I'll long healed. Yeah, right. I shouldn't have made you get rid of the falcon. Well, we did move like, I don't know how many states. Yeah, before we I came. think the falcon Before was we just came a to the best state of them all, South Carolina, thank you for joining <laughs> us on Intersect Season 5. Please rate, review, subscribe. It really does help the podcast. Bets. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye.